Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 29, Act 2. Ali Santana, There's No Slash in Innovation, recorded July 17th, 2019, in New York City. So damn tired of waiting on a perfect A plus B. The one size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the pairs they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA listeners. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being a part of our global community. This podcast is partnering with Creative Generation for a new video series on YouTube called Hashtag Keep Making Art. Through this collaboration, we are exploring how creatives are making and sharing art and or guiding others to make and share art. Subscribe to the Teaching Artist with Courtney J. Body YouTube channel, along with all the other social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This health crisis, this COVID-19 health crisis, has really put the country's inequities on full blast. It's clear, clear as day, that as Michael Wiggins has said time and time again, it's not working. And if we don't make a conscientious change now, I ask when? And so that is what I'm exploring with the Keep Making Art video cast. I'm asking the guests about how artists should be activated or mobilized in this moment and throughout this crisis and beyond. What change do you want to see come out of this? And what action are you going to take to help make that change. I'm asking every single one of you listeners and myself, what change do we want to see and how do we plan to make that change a reality? I'd love to hear from you. Please write me directly at info at teachingartistry.org or you can message me through any one of our social media platforms. Creative Generation is also doing a great job of mobilizing. So check them out and see what we can do together. We can do a a lot, I think. And I want to be a part of changing the paradigm of our systems. Okay. So once again, this episode has two parts. First, we will have the conclusion of the short interview I had with Daniel Levy, who is the author of, his, of the book, uh, A Teaching Artist's Companion. 
Uh, and if you haven't, check out the article that I wrote about the book in Tags Quarterly that was just released last week. Here is me and Daniel. Maybe I buried the lead a little bit um, <laughs> in not talking about view, design, respond right away. Mm. So should I t- can I touch on that Please. now? Um, the, really, the turning point in the writing of the book was to find this framework that would sort of hold all the other ideas in a way that makes sense uh, sequentially, philosophically, uh, technically. Uh, so the key was view, design, respond. I'm looking at, if you look at teaching artist work, it really happens in three phases that I say out, that I lay out with them. First comes view, which is all those, which is what you believe and value about teaching and learning. That's your view. It may be unexamined. I think for a lot of us, it is unexamined, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we all have a view, values. Um, Design is the planning that you do before you go into a classroom. We all do that. Mm -hmm. Respond is how you actually interact with your participants when you're in the space with them. Mm -hmm. You have a set of beliefs, you make some plans, you go and you try to make them work. That Those are the three, fa- what I call phases of our work. Mm-hmm. And if you start to divide them up that way, I, th- I think it gets easier to observe the characteristics of each phase mm-hmm. and easier to self-reflect on your own practice. Uh, where it gets interesting is that during respond, unpredictable things happen. When you're with your students, stuff mm-hmm. starts to happen. And if you reflect on that, it becomes a cycle where it sends you back to re-examine your view. Mm-hmm. Well, this happened in the classroom. Does that confirm my set of beliefs or does that make me want to question what I believe? Mm. Or I, I designed this activity to work this way, but then this other thing happened. Mm-hmm. Did that confirm my design or is it asking me to go back and question my design Mm -hmm. so it keeps looping back through view design respond we go back to our view and we design and we respond Mm -hmm. and go back yeah yeah that's actually yeah the respond is interesting because uh like i said i was working with two different student uh two different classes and it was the same activity but um in the first class uh we were looking at a theme and i chose rightly or wrongly i chose to give them the choice of what the theme could be instead of just giving them the theme, which I normally do. I'm uh-huh. going to tell you. <laughs> so okay, the that was a tweak that, that you were was trying a tweak out. I tried. Why did you try that tweak? What made, what there brought was that something on? about that group that was just, they were so sweet and weird. They were just like this lovable bunch of like bad news bears kids. You know what I mean? Like they were just, and, and, there was something about how they were, their energy was just sort of like, I don't know if teens is the right theme. So let me see what they're interested in. Well, and something they about wanted them giraffes. Evoked. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, well, could we broaden it out to just like the animal kingdom? Because, of, you know, maybe not, a, maybe not everybody knows all the things about giraffes. Huh. And so we were doing an alphabet relay. And so most of the things that came out were animals. And then what normal in the activity, then at a certain point after they've, they've sort of experimented with some of the physical vocabulary, they choose a word and use that word. Um, usually it's a, something that, <laughs> that describes a teen, but uh, they use that word to inform how they're doing, what the quality of the movement is when they choose to uh, 
do any one of those movements. And so the when it came time for that moment, I was like, okay, so you're not actually going to be the animal, but think about like, choose the animal and then think about how does that animal move? What are some um, traits that protect that particular animal has and how does that then inform your movement? And there was something that clicked for these kids um, somehow that they were like, well, I, I chose a kangaroo and this kid's movement was amazing where he was like pirouetting and he was making all these like very, and nobody knew what was going on, but it was amazing to watch. Yeah. And that was, that's literally the thing is like, like you're as performers, you're just going with the impulses there's and and yeah. we're adding on some performance tools along the way and the audience is just like is there a story are there characters and and anyway so it just became this like very vibrant energy in the room that started with a who you all are weird <laughs> well you sense their playfulness they right playful, it made, and made it you playful too yeah 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 so 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 anyway so i'm still respond i'm still like responding to or reflecting on that moment where I responded to something and then I had to like make a choice to clarify, you know, and the thing that I, in the book that I was like, I don't know if I feel close to this, but maybe I just need to think more about it is the analogy. And as I was in that, I was like, how do I, am I using analogy right now? I don't think I'm doing that, but whatever it is, this is what I'm saying. And somehow it's working (laughs) anyway. That sounds great. Yeah. And, you know, we could do a whole a whole thing on sort of looking at what your view is, mm-hmm. how it led to this consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Your view shapes what you design and how and this is a design that you've done and tested over time before you actually sort of defined your view. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I feel like I, I have defined, I just haven't done it in this manner. Okay. And um, the, the thing that is really important to me is that kids feel, or whomever I'm working with, feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I'm not using the exact idea, but that I want to, I want to acknowledge that idea. I want to even like tussle with that idea. And then if it doesn't get utilized, that's okay. But we're going to explain why it's yeah. not going to be utilized because the kid the child was heard and honored right yeah their creativity was honored and that establishes like a sense of safety in the community Mm -hmm. the next thing you do is going to be easier to do you Mm -hmm. know it's valuable and it's what you believe in Mm -hmm. so it's at the center of your design yeah beautiful (laughs) no i didn't mean to imply that you had an undefined view because i I don't think that would be true at all well i just think that that that's kind of that's kind of exciting to me is that you have you have something here that for those of us who feel like you know we we these are the things that we do and we do them really well and that's that 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 we have an opportunity to continue to examine the work that we do and how we do the work and why we do this work um and and get into some minutiae in a way that maybe we don't uh, always have time for think we have time for but that sort of dive deeper dives can actually expand exponentially expand our view and our work and the opportunities that we have to continue to curate and facilitate others creativity yeah if we have the stamina to do it if we right because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it takes because the self-reflection takes it takes time mm. and yeah you know different programs you've probably had this happen there's mm-hmm. those programs that you wait you're you're awake at two in the morning going dang you know what what do I have to do to make this work? Why isn't this working right? Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of haunts you 
if you care. You know, you're talking with Michael Wiggins about love. Mm -hmm. And I think the degree that we are willing to bring ourselves to this work uh, is a reflection of that love. We have got to be careful not to burn out. uh, But um, and I love what he was saying in in the part two of the last interview Mm -hmm. about um, not everybody this this work isn't for everybody right if you're going to do it well it's going to ask you know certain things of you and i think the thing that it asks for is this self-reflection and you know i think everybody i think everybody if they had had as many mentors and wonderful teachers as i've been fortunate to have mm-hmm. like classroom teachers that taught me so much about how to form a, a container for teaching and learning uh how to create safe space uh sort of p- the mechanics of working with students to bring out their best work Mm -hmm. and to have a joyful practice. So many teaching artists influenced me, so many teachers. I think this book probably could have been written by anybody that spent 25 or 30 years, kind of like looking at it and questioning their practice and writing down, you know, what they did. It wouldn't be the same book, but hopefully it would be another book that hopefully is of value to practitioners, mm-hmm. especially to beginners, because, you know, I think you've mentioned this. When we start out, there's it, there's more materials now out there. Yes. But some of it is hard to know how to apply it. Mm-hmm. It's in another art form or it's a long list and you're not sure, like, it's inspiring, but what? how does that actually change right. what you're doing in a classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think this these are not ideas that... Um, I made up so much as observed and tried to capture right. w- within the book. And I, I really hope they, they are valuable for for any readers. And as you kindly mentioned, they might be valuable for very experienced practitioners mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. just as another lens or another way to sort of redefine or take another look back at their practice to keep it fresh. Right. So now you're in this uh this year long sort of book tour, what's been the the most fun and what's been the hardest part of the, the promoting? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, the hardest part is like not knowing what the hell to do. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Facebook is, it sort of feels good to put things on Facebook, but in terms of selling books, it's not really <laughs> effective. Okay. It doesn't really do anything. Mm. I mean, according to most, book marketing folks um i i have enjoyed reaching out to uh to other artists and other and organizations and hearing that they're interested um say the question again what's been the most fun part of promoting and what's been challenging the challenging part is not knowing what to do. There's no. I think there's it's interesting no, that you keep starting with the challenging. There's, part. there's, there's no. That's because I know that one. Uh, I'm not sure what's. I'm not sure what's fun about promoting the book. All right, so is talking a, with people is fun. Yeah. And and okay. feeling, you know what it is, feeling like I'm in a community. That's mm. what it's done. Uh, it's really enhanced my sense of um, the ways that we as practitioners uh, connect with each other, look out for each other. Um, the common concerns that we share, the common experiences that we share, mm. uh, come more to the fore. Um, and as I, you know, as I have a chance to speak about the book and do professional development with different groups, I feel like 
yeah, you know, this, I think this does make sense. And I, I think this will be a value value, but I haven't gotten to do a lot of workshops yet or talk at conferences yet. Okay. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Mm. You know, how does this land both with like students in colleges mm. who are, who don't even really know what a teaching artist is. That's one kind of workshop, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. sort of bring them in and say, why don't you think about this work that could be both remunerative and socially just and access you as an artist, you know? There's there's jobs out there. Mm-hmm. This is what it might be like. Yeah. Come take a look at this. Well, I just got excited about something that I realized. Um, you know, uh, I teach at NYU. I, at NYU, I teach uh, a, a graduate level course uh, in the theater education Arts, division. Theater education. I say it a lot on here. Um, and I'm always looking for new resources, new tools. And so this will be added to the required reading. I do a lot of modeling mm-hmm. and I actually bring people in uh, who are professional teaching artists uh, to give them some of those models and get them to sort of pick apart uh, what they're seeing and experiencing so that the, by the, the second half of the semester as they're designing their own curriculum and then they ultimately teach a portion of that curriculum um, as part of their finals um, that they have enough tools to be able to if they wanted to work as a teaching artist that they could get a job Um, that's the whole frame (laughs) it's like let me show you some theory and some practice and then have you practice so they also teach uh, what do we do they lead the group um, throughout the semester on different readings so they have a little taste of that along the way before they get to the end of teaching. And different readings they identify. So I have, or? yeah. So it's the readings that uh, they have to read, right? So each each week there's required reading, and what I have them do is either it's individual. It depends on how large the class is. So it's either individually or it might be in pairs. They choose. They select a reading that they want to lead the class in terms of reflecting on that reading, mm-hmm. and it could be active it could be an activity often it's an activity because so the point is that they're getting some practice in in a safe environment and we're making sure that we're reflecting on what we're reading yeah and that it's applying to whatever we're examining that day that sounds pretty fun yeah it's a it's a lot of fun it also takes some you know gives me some um ability to give them some pointers and some ideas about how and it also gives me a better sense of what they're excited about and where their their view yeah. can come from um just so i have a better sense and there's other there's other ways that i learn about them but it just creates a community that community that you're talking about within the within the classroom i would be honored to be part of your required reading I, and i would be so happy to come in yeah and work with you and, and meet your students excellent excellent um so we're gonna wind down this um, little little convo about your book. Is there anything that you want the listeners to know uh, that we haven't touched on in terms of, of a teaching artist companion? Well, everything. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, for, we'll, we will have done our, um, our longer uh, podcast about yes. the book. And that's still available mm-hmm. at this time. And, of course, the book's available. Um, no, I, I really appreciate you you know, giving this the space to sort of breathe in this way, because I think it's, as you've mentioned, these conversations can be, they're, they're alive and they're vital. It's not that writing isn't, 
But I think uh, until you started a podcast, this kind of interaction wasn't available to everybody. It'd be available to you in a PD and it's Mm -hmm. ephemeral. Mm -hmm. Like it happens and it's gone and it's really hard to share. But what you're structuring is you're giving our community a place where some of these ideas get these ephemeral things that come up via conversation get a get a place that you're holding a space mm-hmm. for the conversation and then there it is and we can go back i can say to somebody don't miss that michael wiggins interview this will kick your butt it is so good <laughs> and i and i already have shared it so much Thanks. you know it, these things come up and they're great mm-hmm. so thank you for what you've done it's it's wonderful to, for you to hold a space for these conversations well, thank you i love having these conversations um, and I, I, I am excited for folks to hear the, the fuller interview that we're having, um, that will come out in the fall. Yay. You mean the interview about a teaching artist companion, how oh. to define and develop your practice? No, no, that <laughs> is coming out this spring. Oh, that's right. I'm talking about the fact that we're going to talk about, get, get to know Daniel Levy in depth and that conversation will come out in the fall. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. That sounds Exciting. good. I had him reversed. No. I thought the one was... <laughs> I know the schedule. Yeah, I'm with you, Courtney. <laughs> I'm with you, Courtney Jean. Excellent. Uh, well, Daniel, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. You're like, welcome really so soon. much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Bye. Teaching Artistry Podcast is partnering with Association of Teaching Artists for a three-month episode series. We are highlighting the 2019 ATA Award recipients. And this month, Ali Santana is our feature of the month. (laughs) He is a multidisciplinary artist who has deepened his practice that is firmly rooted in his passion for learning and growing as an artist. I thoroughly enjoy talking and getting to know Ali. And he's also actually an upcoming guest on the video series, uh, Keep Making Art. So I hope you enjoy the second part of our conversation. Here is Ali Santana, episode 29, act two, There's No Slash in Innovation. How long have you been teaching for? Uh, I mean, with MoMA. With MoMA? I want to say I, I lose count, but I think six years. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I started in 2013. Um, and the uh, the way I talk about it with artists, like there's some artists who, if you think of, you know, like all of your work mm-hmm. as 100%, mm-hmm. and then you would sort of segment like how much, what percentages would you say is teaching versus art making and maybe you know, some other work that you may do. Uh, what percentage is teaching? Maybe thirty three point three 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 percent. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And what are you doing with the other sixty six point six? There's six? another another thirty three point three three three. I like I like threes. Mm. Um, another thirty three point three would be like actual art making. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part is just life because you need something to inspire you Word. or like to to bring on these thoughts um random segue i've been like thinking lately like i've been in the kitchen so much late i like to cook um 
and I'm always in the kitchen. I've been in the kitchen more than I have been in the studio lately. And I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm a culinary artist now. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> like, maybe I should switch it up or, you know, just kind of like experiment more with food now. Yeah. So just what, what does inspire you? Uh, I'm inspired by like nature, uh, community, ancient wisdom, ancient cultures. Like, I love pyramids. Mm. Um, like, any, any, civilization that made a pyramid like yo we still haven't figured out how you guys did that uh, what else haven't we figured out like what other what other things have you figured out in the world that were just lost um so that's like always i'm always curious about that like what else did these ancient you know folks and ancestors figure out that we just lost over time mm-hmm. and like how do you connect back with that um um, and I'm really inspired by music and sound. I think that that is a must. I, I don't think I could, I would be half as inspired without some mm. kind of music. Um, How, so as <laughs> I'm, you keep calling saying sound, mm-hmm. and obviously music is is sound. But like, mm-hmm. what do you hear <laughs> when you hear sound? Like, what do you? I'm not asking the right question, but I'm, I, I'm curious about musicians. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about people who are interested in sound Mm. that doesn't have to be music, right? Right. It's just sound. So what are you listening for? What are you um, drawn to? I like to listen for like just general rhythm in in everything Mm. um and i I hesitate to call myself a musician because i've never been like trained as a musician Mm um i i you know i used to play djembe african drums when i was uh when i was a kid and i've always kind of considered myself a drummer you know i played i like to bang out beats on the table all the time that's Mm -hmm. been like a thing that i've always done and continue to do um but like I don't play like the saxophone or the piano. I don't know how to read music, but mm-hmm. I definitely am musical. I have a sense of rhythm mm-hmm. that I always like to play with and, and kind of practice. And I hear, I just think like different sounds are really interesting. Like the sound of the train, like the rhythm of the train when it's like going full speed on the tracks. Like, that's really interesting to me. Or like the sounds of buses or nature. And I think that those things can be like sampled and turned into you know some kind of composition that could really be interesting Mm. and i say sound because like sometimes when you say you make music or you make beats somebody's is expecting a grammy nominated song they're expecting a radio hit and i I think i I live more in like the avant-garde experimental space Mm -hmm. at this moment um but i'm very much like inspired by 90s hip-hop i loved how um these producers like DJ Premier and even like Jay Dilla were just sampling, you know, re- they didn't have instruments necessarily. Mm-hmm. They were sampling records and instruments and sounds and everything mm-hmm. to create this music. And they had their own like rhythm and swing and, and, and cadence that made them unique, you know, like that, that was really important and special to me. Like you can make music without necessarily knowing how to play it. Cause everybody has, you know, the sense Program, of rhythm. Everybody, yeah. Everybody's got a heartbeat, right? right? That's the main sense mm-hmm. of rhythm. And if you can kind of get in tune with that and you can make your own stuff, like 
my if I'm making music, if I can get to the point where my head is bopping mm-hmm. and I'm having a good time, like that's success. That's like okay, that's what this is for. This is a, this is another means of self expression. It's not about like getting rich and you know getting a platinum album or yeah, whatever it yeah. is. It's just about you know getting that feeling, and that that's kind of what makes me happy and what makes me want to continue to continue to do that mm-hmm. you know what um so i didn't ask i love to ask this question about like where and um where people grow up and how mm-hmm. the arts were mm-hmm. present in, in their lives or when they got introduced to the arts and you already have said like okay i was a drummer mm-hmm. or i mm-hmm. used to play the drums or I have played the drums since mm-hmm. i was a kid so what um like, do you have, like, a first memory of being engaged in the arts as a kid? I don't. Um, be, I think mainly because my my both of my parents are artists. Mm. Uh, so that memory would be, like, from zero or <laughs> negative, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I was maybe always exposed to art in some way. Uh, my mom is a photographer. My dad is a filmmaker. Um and so I've just always been surrounded with those things. My mom had a dark room in the house when mm-hmm. I was growing up and she would like sit me on the dry side of the dark room while she was like developing photographs. Um, she'd bring me to all of her assignments as a photojournalist. Um, so we, she was just dragging me through New York, <laughs> gritty New York, gritty eighties, New York, mm-hmm. um, while she was capturing just, you know, all types of stuff. And my dad says that he was, uh, editing one of his films with me on his lap. So I really, you know, these influences have mm. probably come from way back. And I don't know, I didn't really uh, appreciate them. I guess not until you get older. Mm. Uh, but now I'm definitely like, wow, that was that. I guess that's kind of special. Um, but yeah, it's always, I've always, they've always had like uh, book signings and ex- exhibitions and, just a community of artists around as well that have been super influential. So um, I, I had the same sort of situation where my, my parents love um, my father played guitar um, and they both sang in church okay. and that's actually how they met. Um, and uh, there's always just music yeah. playing in the house and my dad had this huge collection of like vinyls yeah. and 45s and it would yep. just like keep going mm-hmm. on and on and on. Um, and, and then we went to see a lot of theater. Okay. A lot of theater. So that's yeah. what the theater thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think, I don't think I understood either mm-hmm. that this wasn't like, cause you're just born. You're just you're dropped just, into the situation. In, you, you can't know. really choose. Right? <laughs> um, but when was um when do you recall either asking to be a part of something that was arts or there was something that was different than being with your parents that was happening for you that art was was speaking to you uh so i think i've always been creating art in some way but never like really considered it that i know that there's uh when i was a kid probably about my son's age 4 or so she dragged me to some conference or something and I'd be like throwing a tantrum for whatever reason. And she would make sure that she always had a pen and paper. And she was like, you know, write out how you feel, draw it out. And that was a a common thing. So I, I learned, 
at an early age to kind of express myself through creativity, through artwork. Um, certain times, there's like some artwork where I'd be mad at my mom and I'd like draw her and like, there's this one in particular that says like, no mommy or something. I must have been mad at her. And I saved, I actually printed it on a t-shirt later in college. But um, I think that was my like my first experience really like learning how to express my emotions through mm artwork um but i didn't start calling myself an artist until college really i actually had i don't want to say a traumatic experience with the arts but i could never i i really admired other kids in my class who could draw well they would always be that kid who could draw the perfect rendition of spider-man spider-man or like superman or some other cartoon character i, know, I like spider-man spider-man <laughs> well there are multiples now in those universes with the new spider-man that's true um but I used to be like so jealous almost like, yo, how did you do that? That's perfect. And when I try to like draw from memory, um, it just would not. It would come out looking real bogus. <laughs> and I think that really got to me because I think early on I had a teacher that really rewarded those kids who could draw like the comic books and such. And they'd give them stickers and toys mm -hmm. and I wouldn't get those rewards. So like early on, I was like, oh, then I must not be able to draw. I must not be an artist. I must not be an artist. Isn't that a crazy thing to like. It, yeah. Your teachers <sighs> are very influential. And they're so influential. That messed me up for a long time. My mom would tell me like I used to like wake up in the middle of the night having nightmares. Like I can't draw. Whoa. So it was, it was like that serious, I guess, because that must have meant something mm -hmm. to me. Um and uh well that i think that would make sense since she was like express yourself here's a pen and paper and then you have an art teacher who's like mm -hmm, and passing you over <laughs> like yeah yeah um and it wasn't until junior high school i had a i had an an art teacher shout out to miss wong um she saw i think we had an assignment where we had to make collages or found sculptures like sculptures from found materials trash whatever whatever mm. it is you and a broken umbrella mixed with some gear and like she saw that i was really like into that mm. and i think she like pulled me to the side and i said i think you should be doing more of this and i think she let me like skip some of the other like painting assignments or whatever and allowed me to do more like sculpture and found uh found art and collage stuff mm. and that really kind of like gave me my confidence back that i could be good at something um which i thought was super like important mm -hmm. um but even still i didn't call myself an artist then i was just getting through art class yeah. um but then in college when i was at fit studying animation um my teacher you know, it was it was a 3d animation course and they wanted us to do things like finding nemo was like kind of a big mm. reference at the time, mm -hmm. The Incredibles. They wanted us to do that 3D Pixar style stuff. And I wasn't really feeling it because it didn't, I wasn't able to really express myself mm -hmm. easily through that, through that medium. But what I did really take to was motion graphics, um, kind of like 2D animation mm -hmm. and animating, collaging pictures and images. And green screen was like a really big technology at the time, like green screen music videos. So for my thesis project, I was like, I'm going to do a green screen music video and like make it a, a whole collage environment. And my teachers just straight up told me like, oh, we're going to fail you if you don't do the 3D requirement, if you don't make this like thing in 3D. And I was like, it comes back to my issue with authority. I was like, 
I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm doing this this music video, um, and I kind of found a loophole in the the software that I was using. There's a 3D camera that you can use, so you can animate this 3D camera mm-hmm. through these collage, these 2D collages that you made to give it a certain effect. And I fulfilled that requirement and like passed. Um, but then the music video that I did was like kind of like a revelation for me Mm. i didn't know what i was doing there was no like there was no guide to how to do it i just was like taking the information that i had that i learned and kind of like figured it out as i was going um and we took i bought like green paper from whatever art supply store borrowed some lights from the photography department and shot this music video on a camera rented from like the, the also the video department in the gymnasium of fit and I had a friend who's a um, who's a rapper. Shout out to Rob Cave, aka Spec Boogie. And he had a song, and I was like, "Let's do a video for this song." And um, then I was like, "I want to make it a collage type thing." And I asked my mom to use some of her photographs to collage, and it create it became this whole project. Mm-hmm. And I I just stayed home, and I just was like work, working really hard on it, working harder than I'd worked on anything else, to the point where like I felt like I was working, and the creativity and influence like was no longer coming from me. Like I was just kind of like a vessel and I was like making this stuff from my subconscious. And I was like, hold on, I think I'm an artist. And then that was the point where like, I was like, okay, Mm. I'm an artist now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But that project was really special. It was a video called no knock. And I was like really proud of the way it came out. Um, And, uh, it went to a couple of like little festivals and, and stuff like that. So the school actually wound up like, even though they threatened to fail me for making it, they actually wound up like pushing it forward, which was cool. That's cool. Yeah. You're a free spirit, Ali. I guess. Yeah. 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 No, you can't, you can't. If, first of all, like talking to you is like, it's very calming. You're a very <laughs> calm presence. But when you are telling that story, y- y- your, your energy shifted in a mm-hmm. very, um, like vi- vibration type of way, which mm. is interesting. So, I think, yeah, I feel like there are, there are people who can't be, they can't be boxed in. Yeah, and you and you won't allow yourself to be boxed in. It's just a innate, like natural. Like if mm-hmm. I feel like I'm doing something too much or routine, I gotta break it. Mm-hmm. So I got my shirt says "Let's Get It Free" right oh, now. I can't. I can't yeah, it's black it. on black, which black is kind of mysterious, but um, <laughs> I think I think freedom is like a big. Uh, it's a big issue mm-hmm. for me. Like how 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 can you be how can you be in control of your own time and energy and like kind of do what you feel is right mm-hmm. um and just free to explore and to learn and grow uh and i feel like a lot of these systems that are in place are are there to keep us from doing that you know so i kind of try to avoid those so i'm, I'm still on the search for how to mm-hmm. how to be how to be free but it's a recurring theme in like my work and conversation and stuff and how do how do you um bring that that ethos into your teaching um i like to i like to encourage well first off and when we when we start a class i'm like there's no wrong answer so a lot of students are like concerned if they're doing something the right way or 
had one one student who's did, did I do it right? Are you sure? Like I'm sorry. Like, and I think they're conditioned that way from the school system mm-hmm. to to like think that there's a right or a wrong answer. But I'm like, yo, however you do it is how it's, it's this is expression. There's no wrong way to express yourself. Uh, and so that's kind of a main point in the class. Like whatever you do is going to be dope, but the more you put into it, like the the, the doper it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like, and it, it's always a struggle because in the beginning, students are so conditioned. They're raising their hand to go to the bathroom. I'm like, yo, you don't have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. Just go. And when you give them more agency over just like, mm-hmm. you know, being comfortable and, and being creative, I think that that, that freedom kind of comes naturally. And in some of the final projects that I see, I could see a kid go from like being super shy to like at the end of the course, just being like totally free with it, you know, and talkative, which is which is cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just say there's no wrong answers. It's, it's experimentation. And <clears throat> if you make mistakes, there's always a creative solution to fix it. You know, there's there's no like mistake that's gonna end everything or ruin it. There's always something you can do to make it like to fix that mistake, to make it better. And sometimes you need those problems to like make something really cool. Like yeah. those creative solutions that you that you come up with they'll make whatever you did like super unique. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah. Um, we are sort of winding down. Okay. Um, I could talk to you all day though. <laughs> this is I like it. Um, we've really covered like a lot more topics than I anticipated, um, especially the the social medias that conversation. Oh yeah, I can talk about that. Yeah, robots and AI and that's coming. I don't like it. No. I'm not. I'm not about it. I think it's an it it, it's, it seems to be an effort to make us less human, in a way. And when, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, to I'm, I'm trying to be, be more, more human. human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there's not enough empathy in the world. There's not enough humanity in the world that we technology continues to feel like it's taking us away. And that's why I'm interested in like, how do we actually harness technology to go the other way? Yeah. Um, I even think that like likes on the internet are not that good. mm. Um, Like, first of all, they create like this dopamine loop where like you're addicted to getting likes so that you want to like make more stuff to get more likes and you go into this depression and then like these wave cycles. But at the same time, it limits your, the way you communicate. Like, say you posted something and I really like it instead of telling you like genuinely, I I really like what you did. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll just hit that like button and then you don't get that interaction at all. And that's kind of making you less human. You're just hitting a button, Mm. a standard button or an emoji now. Um, Instead of like really expressing ourselves, yeah. I, uh, yes, I'm just gonna agree <laughs> with you. Don't need to respond to everything, Courtney. Gosh, um, do you have any questions for me? Uh, yeah. So, can you tell me more about your art practice? My art practice? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, somebody asked me this today, and I was like, what? Oh, uh. Um, so you prepared. Never. Uh, <laughs> I uh, am a theater divisor mm-hmm. and, and an actor and director, though I don't direct as much. I'm, I'm much more excited about collaborating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, I haven't been one recent. I haven't been in a show, but I, I really enjoy just 
being the actor in somebody else's project right. and being told what to do um, because I do that a lot in my regular life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of refreshing and to just bring my acting technique in to right. a project is my like most favorite thing to do. Um, so I have a small theater company with my collaborator um, called a space between and we make theater generally that's for teen audiences. Um, and it's, you know, pretty um, feminine, mm. not it's got a feminine bet feminist bent to the work but it's not like feminist theater necessarily right. but uh we made a dress uh sorry we made a piece of theater called the red dress which is about mm-hmm. a 16 year old trying to figure out how and when and uh to have sex for the first time mm. and all the things that come with that including social media and friends oh, yeah. um and now we're in the process of making a new piece of theater that it, um from our pro- point of view is adults looking back um, uh, and it's asking questions um, around uh, women's voices um, when they don't have voices, um, how they lose their voice, how they find their voice um, in this culture of me too and like being reflective in that way. Um, And so we've been in a studio for like a year, a year and a half now, Mm -hmm. Um, just the two of us like doing like, just kind of workshopping. Just workshopping. Just, just and and out, yeah. first we were just trying to figure out like what, what is it that we want to do? Yeah. So we just talked a lot. Right. <laughs> and then we started making, we sort of videotape and bank our work and then um, start to carve it or cobble it together. Mm. So now we have a treatment, like a first draft of a script and we're about to go into um, doing like a series of read, read readings, I guess, mm-hmm. read throughs um, to get feedback from cool. our, like some with of the our peers. With, to read yeah. So we have people that we like a community mm-hmm. of artists that we are pulling from to come and help us with this part of the process. And then ultimately, you know, we'll get to a place of workshopping it, putting it on its feet and then hopefully produce it. Okay. You got to find a producer, but you got to keep me updated. I want to, yeah. and like, I'd love to be able to like, uh, send some of the teenagers in my class. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, no, no, we we're both educators too, and mm-hmm. we both have full-time jobs. So everything takes a lot longer and effort, yeah. you know, but I like, I like working with her very, very much because mm-hmm. she is a consummate artist um, and a very strong educator. Right. And, we just have this like really, we com- we have good complementary skills. I would say that's important and, to find um, a, a good partner. Yeah, to it's been with. Yeah. it's been more than I could have, you know, I I I prior to working here actually at the New Victory, I didn't even know what devising was like making hmm. new work. What the heck is that? And so, based off of working here, I've gotten to this place of being a theater maker and making hmm. new work. Um, and being able to inspire other people to find ways to make new work as well as, you know, doing it myself. And um, there's just a lot. I'm really lucky because of where I work because there's just so much um, really strong performing arts that happens here to draw as influences from. So we're definitely like we've got a physical, nonlinear aesthetic, um, and it's definitely weird (laughs) like like this particular piece i think is really interesting for us because it has it's it's absolutely rooted in real 
um, moments that have happened in our lives. Hmm. And it goes from this like very realistic, like, let me look back and like talk about like this moment and Mm -hmm. how it's fucked me up for the rest of my life kind of situation. And then it gets real surreal and kooky and, but still like it has the same theme. It's I'm, I love it. I feel like you got to take things to the abstract (laughs) sometimes to understand Mm -hmm. like what's going on. You just got to like break it apart and be really like out there you know, in order to bring things back. Oh, it's, understand it. it's yeah. I almost want, I'm like, there's a part of me that's terrified because like we're looking at like historical figures talking about what's happening in the world now. And um, I don't know, somebody's going to be like, you can't do that. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it sounds dope. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, so there's that. And then um, I also teach at NYU. Okay. Um, and so I'm working you, with theater, um, educational theater okay. uh, uh, graduate students who um, take a course called the Teaching Artist, which I teach. Mm. So um, in that particular course, or what I find is many of the students, maybe because they're choosing to do education, they have almost dropped their artist selves. Not on purpose. I think it's it. I think it's unintentional, mm-hmm. but. Um, I find myself working on like, let's mine your artist and you have to be practicing your artist. There's no way you can be a teaching artist without making art. And that Stuff doesn't to have balance. to be, be about being on Broadway or, yeah. you know, making money necessarily, but you have to be practicing and really believing that you are an artist. Yeah. Um, and then I can also help you understand how to harness that for teaching. But like, that's, that's a lot of what I try mm-hmm. to focus on um i was working at the new school as well but i'm no longer teaching there that's okay i'm not bitter um <laughs> but there it was the opposite yeah it was more about working with people who were consummate artists like mm. were like so much art it was like oh wow i don't have to help you with that part right, it's more about like well, how do you how do you work with communities with as an artist? It's was a balance. The focus. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was fascinating. Yeah. Really, really fascinating work. And so I really do like working in that space. That's the only place where I really, I get to teach anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, maybe there'll be more, like I have some things that are going on soon, but um, to me, again, those things like really feed the, into themselves, yeah. all of that. And then all that, like everything that I do informs this project. Cool. Yeah. When did you realize that you were a teacher? Mm. Uh, third grade. Whoa. We actually, uh, we had an assignment where we had to teach the the rest of the class something. Mm -hmm. I don't know why this was an assignment. I can't remember that. Um, and I can't remember what anybody else did, but I, what I wanted to do is do a cooking class I realized I needed an oven and that wasn't going to work. So, um, my mom, my mom used to, had taught me how to make like a flower out of tissue. And I think the reason why she taught me, I think was because I was bored somewhere and she was Mm -hmm. like, Hey, do you know how to do this? And look what you can do. And it's so simple. All you need is a paper clip and a piece of tissue, a two ply. Two ply is very important. <laughs> one ply don't work. One, one ply does not work. So I was trying to figure out what do I teach? What do I teach that it needed to be in a certain time frame and um, et cetera. And so I got a box of tissues and a paperclip for everybody. And then I just, I, st- I stepped it out. Like I remember practicing it, how I was going to explain all the steps. Wow. And 
um, and how I wanted everybody to have feel really good about what flour they made. <laughs> yeah. So this was like genetic, right? I, this came, oh, yeah. This well, my dad of, was also a teacher. Yeah. So that, that might've been part of it. But the, but the, um, the thing that I remember the most as I was, cause I was doing, I was modeling it as they were doing it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a couple of like, this is what we're going to make. And now here's what, this is how you do it. So take it out, flat, lay it flat, feel really good. Great. <laughs> and then you're going to make, you know, you're going to do right. this and then that, and then this, and you make a fan and then you have this thing. See? Yay. And then you clip the middle and now we make the flower and you mm. do one side and you're making your petals and then you make, okay. Anyway. So as that's happening, my teacher, um, shout out to Miss Heineman. Um, she said, I have never, seen this class this focused wow or this quiet in the entirety of this class wow and and then she said you might be a natural born teacher courtney that spark right there yeah hmm that was a that was a cool story (laughs) and you were probably better like she was probably amazed that you had more command of the class i also never talked right i was very quiet in school Hmm. at least in those years because um for several reasons one i i was always trying to observe and trying to take things in and understand what's happening and i think i was just trying to understand like people Mm -hmm. plus i was like one of like very few black kids Mm. in the school and a big girl and Mm. so there was just a lot of like how much can i shrink myself and not make you know, put myself in the spotlight right. too much because that, that can draw a negative attention. But in this kind of context, I held the attention and I wanted that, you know, and like I, I could definitely feel the difference between like, I'm in command now. Right, you actually right. can't talk. So <laughs> I let's... got the power. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nice. But yeah, the teaching has always been innate, but then the, I had to like, obviously go to school for learning how to teach yeah yeah cool yeah for me it was um i was working at uh this graphic design company and my boss was uh he was teaching at fit and he needed an assistant and asked me if i would assist him in teaching illustrator adobe illustrator which is an illustration program and i had never I didn't actually know Illustrator. I'd wanted to learn it, but I was like, yeah, I can mm-hmm. teach it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was kind of like sweating bullets when it came like time to like help people out. But then I realized that while I was helping people out, I was learning the program and then explaining it to mm-hmm. them and teaching myself. And then the the people who I was helping got such a good command of the software. I was like, hold on, I might be good at this. And then um, just started to kind of gain more confidence in teaching Mm -hmm. because the students would come up to me, would come up to me after class and say, I I never would have learned it like that if you hadn't taught me. And so I kind of, I realized that I had, I guess, a way of explaining things Mm -hmm. that was different or that connected with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there on, I kind of, I had the confidence to, to keep to keep going with it you know but um i think the best thing now is um i'll run into like students in the street that i've had you know from prior years 
and they'll come up to me and tell me like I changed my major because of your class I'm doing film now because of what I learned in your class Mm. or I'm doing this I'm working here and I'm doing and like those are kind of like life-changing things and I'm like okay this isn't like this actually means something this is like one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had you know I I could do a, a design project for somebody and maybe get a a check and a half a thank you but it doesn't mean anything but when somebody's like yo you really changed the way i thought mm-hmm. about something that means a lot more mm-hmm. so like to to be able to do something that really means something is important yeah you know yeah i love that um the ability to create avenues for discovery but you mm-hmm. don't you can't predict yeah you know what people are going to take away or how you're going to mm-hmm. impact them and that's not actually the reason to do it but when you're able to get that kind of feedback it's like Mm -hmm. everything it really is yeah um i really i really enjoy chatting with you likewise yeah yeah we can we can talk anytime (laughs) invite me back whenever i'll i'll talk (laughs) um any any last things that you want to share with your with this uh with the listeners um, I'm getting an emergency flash flood alert on my. Oh, we have to go <laughs> right now. Um, any any last things that I want to share? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I should say. Uh, you know what I would love? You said this before, and now I want you to do it. Uh, can you just beat something on the table? Beat something? Yeah. Oh man! Uh, give me give me the mic. Just you know, whatever you whatever's in your head right now. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for having me and inviting <laughs> me to, to speak. I don't, you know, one thing, I don't really speak a lot sometimes. Really? No. Nah, I'm kind of quiet and reserved. And like you said, I observe more than I speak. And mm-hmm. people are always like, you don't talk enough. You don't talk too much. But certain certain times I do. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. My absolute ple- pleasure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to episode 29, act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. Ali Santana, there's no slash in innovation. Join us next time for a conversation with Dale Davis. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry, the gram at teaching artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artist with Courtney J. Body channel and enjoy the hashtag Keep Making Art video series. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Ooh.